I'm Liz Testa, and this is Lavish Hope, stories of resilience and overcoming. In these final two episodes of season two, I'm so honored and delighted to be in conversation with not one, but two leaders, Reverend Phil Ossing and Reverend Dwayne Jackson, who were just elected president and vice president at the Reformed Church in America's General Synod meeting, our denomination's first in-person gathering in 28 months. We met at a conference center perfectly located in the shadow of the Catalina Mountains in Tucson, Arizona, and it was a blessed spot to meet safely in and also feel God's presence so clearly. The RCA has been going through some pretty significant challenges, yet we left this meeting feeling hopeful. I wanted to get together with these newly elected leaders to get their insights and perspectives on cultivating hope, resilience, and overcoming, both personally and corporately. What resulted was a conversation full of optimism and encouragement. Not pie in the sky, but real, authentic, leaning on God kind of optimism, with lots of practical takeaways for you, the listeners. And what made it even more interesting is that these two come from totally different contexts and backgrounds, one from the orchards of the Pacific Northwest, the other from the streets of New York City, both called to love and serve God's people using their strategic and relational giftings. I can't wait for you to listen in. Welcome, dear friends, Phil and Dwayne. So glad to have you on the podcast today. Welcome, welcome. Hi, Liz. Thank you. It's good to be with you. And we are coast to coast today. Dwayne and I are out here in New Jersey, and Phil, you're on an island yeah. off the coast of Seattle, Washington. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Up in the Puget Sound, San Juan Islands. That's great. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, so we are really excited to have you here for our final episode of season two of the Lavish Hope podcast. And we're right on the tail of our um, general synod, our annual meeting for the Reformed Church in America. It was our first meeting in many months, a couple of years um, since pandemic uh, prevented us from having it last year. And we just had a lot of um, hopeful things come out of that, things that have also um, been challenging and caused us to need to build our resiliency And then also just to name that the two of you have just been elected in as our president and vice president. And so we're going to have a conversation today about what lavish hope, resilience and overcoming mean to the two of you through that lens. And so again, gentlemen, it's just delightful to have you here um, and just to have this audience be able to hear your wisdom and your perspectives on hope and resilience. So again, welcome, welcome. So my first question to both of you is uh, thinking big picture. What does resilience mean to you? Where do you find resilience when you don't have it? You can choose who wants to go first. I don't usually have two, <laughs> two people to interview at the same time. So we'll have fun with that today. So just go ahead and jump in. Oh, we'll take turns, Phil. You first. Okay, I was going to say I, I think I have an answer to this question. After this, Dwayne, you're up for the for the first go. But <laughs> you know, I uh, you know when I think about resilience, uh, I mean, I, I think it's a great question, Liz. And you want to kind of think a little bit. What does that mean? Uh, and for me, resilience is the ability to persevere, if you would, uh, when either outwardly or even I think inwardly, maybe it's harder to persevere sometimes. The battle inside of us 
is more difficult to overcome? Uh, and how do you keep going when that seems to be the case? And uh, I, I'd like maybe do a negative dis- definition here that biblical resilience is not surviving without is is not surviving with a persecution complex. In other words, I'll be rewarded in heaven someday for enduring this unfair misery, right? So the more miserable I am, the greater my reward in heaven will be. And that, that's that's not a very fun person to be around. That's not resilience. That's just kind of a curmudgeon at, at some point. So, you know, how do we have this deep confidence that even when the things around us don't seem like they're going right, uh, that God's still at work? And maybe even in my misery, God's still shaping some character part of me that will be significant you know, along the way. And so, I mean, a, a, an illustration I thought hopefully would be helpful, a, a bit of a personal story, is that about 10 years ago, uh, I called up uh, a friend and said, I'm ready to quit. I'm just done. I'm so exhausted and mm-hmm. it's not working. I, I'm just done. And uh, bless his point, little head, he was in the office. So I couldn't quit that day. <laughs> and and for, so, for some reason, God used that phone call in kind of an unusual way. I, I feel like some part of me died that day. I just let go. I was done, you know, and, and God brought something back to life. And what I, what I like to say now is it's strange, but I feel like I'm less attached than before that call, but I'm more invested at the same time. Uh, so yeah, that's just kind of a personal experience for, for me in terms of resilience is that that I, I just hit the wall, but somehow, I mean, I, I, I can't give you any, there was no, there was no get out of the hole plan on Phil's part. It just is a kind of grace thing from my perspective. And so, and then, you know, in terms of uh, how do you find resilience for me, I have a more of an extroverted personality, so I will do it probably in community more often, but I also feel like uh, they're increasing with time. Solitude and aloneness has been important to, to read, to reflect, and then to kind of process that uh, with folks. And uh, again, maybe 15 years ago now, 10 years ago, I stumbled into spiritual direction. Uh, that's a whole other story I won't b- bother everybody with today, but but that's been really helpful. And I find every month I meet with the director. And so I'm doing this processing. Okay, what's the most important thing I need to talk about? You know, what's God doing? Uh, what do I need to gain insights to? And so that's that's been, I think, a real, I mean, I, I would have never again when I started it, uh, it was really an assignment for a program I was in. It wasn't something I sought out. And uh, I just feel really it's been a helpful connection for me. So I'll kind of leave with those things for now and let Dwayne have a mm-hmm. shot at it. But that's, those are kind of my thoughts on resilience and for me, how it's kind of played out in a couple of ways. That's interesting. Yeah, it doesn't sound too um, too much different from what I'm about to say. For me, resilience has always been, it's kind of like this multifaceted thing for me. So I know what my job is, and there's always these things that come about to try to discourage me or distract me. And so staying focused on the thing that I am called to do or the Mm -hmm. task that lays before me. And when I find myself in those moments where I start feeling like I'm getting beat down by the world and the forces against me, whether it's whether I want to name it Satan or whether evil or whatever it is, when it feels like I'm carrying uh, the whole world on my shoulders, what I what tends to happen in those moments for me is these little glimmers of hope and inspiration just sort of eat their way out. So, like, for example, when I'm at the church and things are just driving me crazy and it feels like I'm ready to go home and hit print on that letter of resignation that I wrote <laughs> on my first day of accepting my call at this church, somebody will come along and just simply say, 
I appreciate you or Mm -hmm. thank you. And that makes me tear the letter up and say, now I know why I'm doing this. So for me, that gives me that resilience to just keep on going in spite of all the things that come at me. Yeah, I love that, Dwayne. And uh, we had a a young lady do a a picture of hope um, for us in the church I served previously. And it was a burnt out forest with one little daisy growing out of the the ashes. And that's the picture I get when you talk that you get that one glimmer, somebody says something encouraging and how, how powerful is a ministry of encouragement Uh, and pastors are not immune to needing encouragement. You know, we, we, we can't survive without it. Definitely. Well, that's what I thought was so beautiful. And, you know, here we are in the month of November in the month when we are celebrating gratitude in uh, in many of our churches and in society at large. And just thinking about that, that piece that, that's a gift that we can give each other is that gift of encouragement and appreciation. And sometimes, you know, God just works it so that that person shows up, right? Just as you were saying, Dwayne, just that glimmer of hope that shows up. So just to encourage our listeners that, you know, never take it for granted that that little bit of affirmation, encouragement, even if it's just saying thank you to the, you know, the the cashier at the grocery store, what have you, that you can just really give somebody a little, a glimmer of hope in a moment of need. So that's, it's just beautiful there. Um, and then also, um, Phil, I just wanted to name that spiritual direction piece. I think that also is really great for our listeners too. We've been talking about that, you know, different um, um, guests have spoken about that. And just, just to hear from your perspective of how helpful that's been to you. I, I just really appreciate that you brought that up. So then segueing into you being the newly elected officers of the General Synod of the Reformed Church in America, thinking about what does does this opportunity to serve look like for you? What does it mean for you? Tell us, like, how is all of that unfolding as you're starting to live into this um, this season of leadership? Does the VP get to go first now? Sure, go for it, Dwayne. (laughs) Okay. Um, The funny part about it is, it hasn't sunk in yet. And so all the glitz and glamour and fanfare and all the congratulations and all the wonderful accolades that have been um, heaped upon me, uh, I receive them all with love and joy. But when I look at where our denomination is and God calling me into this position, what I saw when I entered into this um, last gathering was a family feud that just got a little bit out of control. And so for me, I see myself as being the papa to come alongside and tell the children to play nice. Um, I hope that doesn't sound condescending, but it just simply means that I'm just looking at us and saying, you know what, we're a family and we can do this together. And so, yeah, we're not gonna agree with everything, but we can still be a part of the family and nobody has to be put out. And so for me, it, that's where my, my hope, my, my aspirations, my, my focus is going to be for the next however long I'm in this position until they vote me out or put me out. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh... It, it is Dwayne and I have had a little, we've traded a few conversations in, in emails and like he said we still have to take out the trash there's not not a lot of glitz and glamour with this office <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah I, you know for for me I uh, 
I guess I often think of in a pastor role, I kind of know what to do, right? I know kind of what the job is and things you look at. And I've, I've never been president of general center before. And I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do necessarily. So it's, it's kind of a feeling your way forward of, you know, I think a key word for me is availability, uh, just being available for opportunities. If people ask, I think I'm more prone to respond to requests than to call people up and say, Hey, guess what? It's your lucky day. The president's coming to town and set up a visit. And uh, so, in fact, I've I've sent a note to the regional synod uh, executives and said, "Hey, how can I help you? What can I do that's helpful? I don't want to just make busy work for you to to have to do something." And that's kind of my my uh, wiring is sort of networking. So I love to listen to different things and maybe a story. Uh, right after I was elected VP, when we were still meeting Dwayne uh, in, in person, this is pre-COVID, we had a general synod council meeting and. Uh, the conversation came up that the AABC churches, the you know African-American Black Council, was saying, hey, we have some church buildings in New York that are that are kind of under duress. Is there something that can be done about that? And so my background is coming from uh, a contractor's family. It's like, well, we can do something about buildings. I know, I know buildings. We can do that. And it's, it spawned a conversation. I've been talking to Steph, Stephanie Soderstrom. And uh, even maybe this is a little bit of a grandiose title to give it, but for for want of something better day, kind of like a presidential work party. And could we just invite the denomination into something and anybody who wants to shows up and, you know, we have to manage it uh, in some way so it works, but that uh, we could possibly just do some kind of a shared uh, event like that. And the part that was cool to me is that that, that uh, whole conversation started prior to a lot of the kind of the social dialogues been going on related to race reconciliation and stuff. And I just, and I even talked to Stephanie and said, could that be cool that just maybe that uh, something as simple as a work party could have an element of reconciliation and community building in it. So that's, I guess if that's, uh, that's kind of a long answer, but that's, that's kind of how I see it is how can I network? How can I take my experiences uh, give them away, share them. How do we listen? I think that's another important thing for Dwayne and I, like he said right now, how do we listen well to what people are feeling, what their sense is, and can people know that they're being heard, that we really care what they feel and think right now? Absolutely. And may I add one more thing? I don't know if you know about this, Phil, but years ago, we actually used to do that. The church that I grew up in, in the South Bronx, and the church that I pastored in Astoria, Queens, we both benefited from these wonderful relationships with churches from Iowa who would send work groups up to help us with something we could not do. They would work on our buildings. And in turn, we would share our time, our hospitality, our culture. Sometimes they would stay in our homes. And to this day, we still have those close relationships. And so for me, this is the RCA, the Reformed Church of America that I know. This is the one that's so near and dear to my heart that I don't ever want to lose. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the churches, Dwayne. Uh, is is your home church is one of the possibilities. We've had some good conversations. And so I, I you know, I don't know what can happen. And, and, you know, could it be something that could be kind of a built-in? I, I love that thing, just talking about building those relationships, right? That you, you had a job, but it really wasn't about the job. It was about the connections. Right. Well, and I just see God's hand on this because, you know, that all three of us have been involved in this prayer movement that's, um, you know, kind of bubbled up in the aftermath of all of the, um, you know, racial unrest and, and the need for justice and for reconciliation. And um, 
And so it really excites me because we're looking, you know, we've been praying into what is it that God is calling us to do. And so to start to think about how do you actually proactively do things in a gracious and godly way that come alongside some of the things that are happening in society. And so I think a presidential work party is a great idea. And we would look forward to welcoming everyone to come to uh, to the New York City area and uh, and have some fun together and be purposeful in uh, in building both physically and spiritually um, relationships and 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 church buildings. I think that's really beautiful. I love it. I love it, Phil. And so then, um, thinking for you, Dwayne, about the process of becoming uh, a nominee for vice president. So just quickly to say that in our denomination, so every year at the General Synod or every time that we have a General Synod, we have um, elections for vice presidents. And then ostensibly the current vice president is then elected into the presidency, which Phil, you had the longest vice presidency of anyone ever, right? Was it 28 months? (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Yes, and so we honor our outgoing president, E.J. DeWard, who had to be the president for all that time. But but just to say that there, you know, it's a process that Phil, you have to go through in 2019, and you know, all the four all the forebears uh, prior to that as well. But Dwayne, what what was it like for you to, you know, just just I think it's really helpful for folks to know like what's the process when God is calling you to something and the people are calling you to something, and you have to be willing to kind of put your hat in the ring. How does that? How 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 was that for you? What was that process? I'll begin by saying God never takes no for an answer. <laughs> um, so when it came time for people to consider someone uh, a nominee for this process to become vice president, I was approached by a couple of people prayerfully and I told them, no, um, not at this time. I didn't want to be a part of all the anticipated unrest and the future of a denomination that might be just simply dissolving or imploding or just falling apart. And then more and more people kept coming to me and I didn't get the sense that they were uh, collaborating to make this happen. I think it was the Holy Spirit that was inspiring them to do it. And so after um, an entire day of telling people, no, 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 I went back to my room and I prayed and had an opportunity to speak with my wife, Anna Jackson, to um, the Reverend Anna Jackson, to um get her feeling about it, because if by chance it would happen, it would impact both our ministry together as we co-pastor, as well as our lives together. And so um, we talked, we prayed, and the next morning she sent me a text message and she says, where are you on this? And I said, well, I think I'm at a place now where I'm going to let God take control of this. I said, I won't say no to the nomination, But if by chance it goes through, then I'll know it is truly of God. And then she sent me a note following that saying, I think you're the right person and this is the right time. And so um, we went through the process. Um, I got nominated, went through a series of elimination votes. And ultimately, um, here I am uh, looking at wherever God is going to lead me in this process. And um, I'm excited. It's it's exciting to be a part of a healing process. And so for me, I, I'm just looking to see how God is going to use me and guide me through this. That's beautiful, Dwayne. That's beautiful. And I, um, I'm also curious, as you were sort of, you know, 
allowing the Holy Spirit to work on you and and um, just being in touch with your wife and everything. How for you, um, in terms of coming to understand that God was actually calling you to it, just I think some of our listeners may not be as familiar with kind of how do you attend to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Is it possible for you to just say a little bit more about that? Um, I guess it's for me, my whole time in ministry has just simply been a journey. Um, ministry is not something that I set out to do as a career. Um, my background is I'm an electronic design engineer by degree in trade. And I did that for quite a number of years. And then I did computer work for quite a number of years following that. And each time God called me, I tried to run away from it. And every time I tried to walk away from it, a door would close in the direction I wanted to go. And God would open a door in the direction that God wanted me to go. And in, once I was obedient to that, all types of um, opportunities and things just came about. So the biggest thing that I marvel at is how I went from a high paid corporate job into becoming a pastor of a church that could barely afford to pay its bills, much less a salary for me. And yet, as that transition was taking place, somehow, some way, I always managed to get my bills paid, keep food on the table, and we never had any financial challenges personally. And so for me, that's always, um, it's always been God at work. And so that's how those are opportunities. And this is how God has been guiding me through this. Um, similar situation happened to me several years ago when um I was elected the second vice president of the regional Senate of New York. There was a little bit of a disruption and a little bit of uh, unrest. And so the president resigned, the vice president resigned, and the immediate past president decided uh, they no longer wanted to attend the meetings as well as several of the staff members. And I went from being the second vice president to president all in one meeting. Wow, <laughs> and, and um, a part of what I felt was my job was to try to figure out how to bring some stability to the regional senate of New York mm. and mm. to get the churches refocused again. And so once that was done, um, I said, "I don't want to do this again." And God <laughs> said, "Guess what? I have more work for you to do." And so I don't know if that answered your question, Liz, but um, but this is how God has always been interacting with me. It's 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 always just leading me and guiding me. And mm -hmm. I find that I, I find joy in just faithfully following. And um, a lot of times I, I really, really want to say no. But God is like, no, come on. I got something. We've done this before. We've already done this dance. Now, come on. You know, you mm -hmm. like it. And so I come along. Yes. Well, that's, I mean, that's the walk of obedience, right? So when you're walking in obedience, obedience has its rewards. I always say that obedience yeah. has its rewards. Mm -hmm. And I love that notion of the journey. I think that's something that that some folks, it's so easy to lose sight of the journey. And mm -hmm. so it is good that notion of the Sankofa that you look back to look forward and sort of reflect on where has God showed up before and not only invited you to say yes to things, but also prepared you for mm -hmm. such a time as this. Yes. And that's what I'm really hearing when you're talking about some of the things, you know, previously that you had to do. Yep. It's Absolutely. really beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, it just occurs to me, thank you for sharing all of that. So, so enlightening. I'm just wondering, Phil, can you just share a couple words about how it was for you 
I think that that would be really interesting to hear about well, as well. I think it was very similar. So, you know, my, my story is I really, I had literally retired like five days before General Synod 2019. <laughs> and I was kind of going back just to say goodbye to my friends and say, it's been a great life. Uh, I was <laughs> done with the journey, Dwayne. <laughs> and, and some of the similar things, some people came up and said something. I thought, well, you know, and you kind of, at least I don't know how you feel, but my my sense is, I mean, I've been on the West Coast my whole RCA career, which leaves you not in the midst of certainly the majority of churches and, and familiarity with people. So I thought it was a pretty safe thing to get nominated. How many people even know my name, let alone who I am, right? And all of a sudden, here you find yourself. But it was the same thing talking to Melissa, my wife, and saying, so is this something? And it's like, well, if God wants it, what what are you supposed to do? And so it's... I guess if you would, it, it may not be the best theology in the world, but that election is like a fleece, isn't it, Dwayne? Mm-hmm. You sort of say, Lord, here it is. If these people are crazy enough to think this is the person to do it, <laughs> then, you know, who am I to say no, right? And so I think it was, I, I really resonate with Dwayne's journey. It's, I think it's something that you share with your spouse because it really does have a, a significant impact, you know, for timing and uh, what you expect the future looks like. It's going to be different now because there's a, a different uh, element in your calendar that you didn't have. For Dwayne a month ago, and now it, here it is. Yes. So I, I really resonate with Dwayne's story. Just and I love just being available. You know, God, like, and you know, when I was elected, they didn't tell me we were going to have to to decide what to do in a pandemic, right? That no, nobody explained the pandemic uh, resolution was a part of the 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 office role, and yet, you know, uh, one of the this is way off subject, kind of Liz, but just one of the really fun little lights was two RCA pastors who are medical professionals came alongside and offered themselves to help us. When we, when we, when we first talked to them in February of 2021, they said, don't even dream about having a meeting. This pandemic is so unknown that you, you can't even in good conscience think about meeting. So there went, there went June of 2021, right off, off the, off the list. We met again in May and they said that vaccine has changed the whole conversation and we we really believe that you could have you in good conscience you could plan this fall to get together, and these guys gave selflessly. Um, we'd spent hours on Zoom meetings with them, saying, "What are we supposed to do?" And they helped interpret all the data and tell us, "Here's what a group can do, and here's what's happening." So you you just encounter people full of grace and offering their lives, and it's kind of I think how Dwayne and I came to this. So, you know, here we are, Lord. We we don't know. We, we we don't know what in our resume makes you think this is a good place for us to be, but here we are, and uh, let's see where it goes. Yeah, that sounds about right. Here I am, Lord. Um, if you think my credentials are good enough to be in this position, then it's on you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> sure, blame God, Dwayne. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Well, you know, what God will provide, right? That's the whole thing of, of um, I think of the song, you know, Lord, I'm available to you. And when you're available, like it's available to the people, but also you're available to what God is, what God is, is offering to you, how God will show up and give you what you need to fill you up, to help you be ready for the journey ahead. So mm-hmm. that's really what I'm hearing in both of your, uh, your stories. And that's, it's a beautiful um beautiful role model for others. Thank you. So thinking about General Synod and um, the difficult decisions that um, have been made, um, 
recently and then um, in the past, thinking that um, difficult decisions that need to be made, the body thoughtfully thinking those through and making, you know, voting on them. And then uh, so many people did come away. So this is like, you know, 300 people all together, 200 voting members were together in Tucson, Arizona at this annual meeting. And we thank God we could thank you for making sure we were going to meet um, safely. And the folks at that La Paloma Weston Resort were just so wonderful to help us do that. So we're so grateful for that physical location. Um, so just thinking about um, the work of the church that happened in those meetings and then how so many expressed hope for the future coming out of it. So just wondering, the two of you, what is what is giving you hope post-General Synod? And feel free to name like, you know, some yeah. of that, those contextual things too that, that happened at Synod that leads to that. Well, I mean, how, how do you not um, just embrace the fact that God sent us to the desert to make a decision? You know, I mean, you, you, you just can't get around that metaphor without having a, a good laugh and, and say, okay, if, if, if it takes a pandemic to get the RCA into the desert, uh, God's got to be working on us yet, right? Uh, and I, you know, I'll, I'll pick a thing that uh, I think a theme that keeps coming through, and I think Synod, it, it resounded in interesting ways, both by, <clears throat> by structure and uh, very unintentionally, I think, and subtly, and by vote very intentionally, was the whole emphasis on global missions. You know, what's giving me hope? That, uh, you know, from, from Vision 2020 all the way through Synod, the thing was uh, God has, has challenged and called the RCA into global mission in a way. You know, JP's great line is that we lift above our weight class, right? That we, for our size, our global footprint is much bigger than you would think it might be. And uh, that, that certainly seemed to me to be one of the things that I came away just celebrating. How many people said we'd love those little videos we saw that were missionaries kind of saying they were praying for us and telling us what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the context I would put in for hope coming out of Synod is that our shared concern for the world will allow us to unhook from things that I think are very local and self-serving as uh, on the North American continent that, you know, we get all wrapped up in North America and think that that's, that's the only part of God's world that matters. And maybe global missions will help remind us that it's the world God died for, not just for North America, not just for the RCA. Um, and so, you know, as, as you think about global missions and how then how does that tie to the reformed church it's that infamous word relationship again right Dwayne, you said it's the relationships we build and and you just don't have an rca conversation for more than three minutes then what relationship becomes kind of the one word you have to be able to define and so then i look at global missions and we have a global network right a global network of relationships in the rca partnering with ecumenical partners partnering with local church partners partnering with with uh, relief work on the ground this whole incredible network. And so I'm wondering if somehow uh, maybe that history and that that experience can be what really kind of guides us. And uh, and maybe just the fact that God has, has said, he's kind of polished off the jewel, right? And said, don't forget global missions is one of the key things I've called you to. And if we can keep our eyes on that, can that maybe lift us out of some of the the muck and mire that's been kind of holding us back and holding us down. So that be that's kind of what I think. That doesn't address all the difficult decisions. We, we I think there's other questions we can get to on that too. But 
But uh, for me, I think it, it was that global mission piece just came away just so excited uh, and and blessed to hear the stories and uh, you know the way the way that the Cindy responded to that recommendation to us, say no, we we want to embrace global missions. We don't want to spin it off. So yeah, that's interesting. You say that with regards to the global mission piece. Um, I realized that that was one of the first things that we refused to let go of. It got voted down immediately and there was not any pushback to say, let no, let it go, let it go. And so they hung on to that one. And, you know, I didn't make the connection about being in the desert for 40 hours a day. (laughs) I like that analogy. Um, The hotel was nice. I'd have done, uh, well, not 40 years, but I'd have done a few more weeks there. (laughs) Um, uh, Anna Anna probably would have joined you there, wouldn't she? Oh, yeah, she would have. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure she would have. Yeah. But um, for me, one of the things that I saw taking place at General Senate that um, gave us hope for going forward were the conversations. So I've been to, gosh, I was trying to count out how many, I would say nearly 20 um, general synods over my lifetime. And one of the things that um, I noticed as in the more recent years, the tone and the flavor of general synod had changed. So back in the earlier times when I would attend, we would go, um, here I am, a kid from the South Bronx, and I had friends from Iowa and, and places where they probably never met a person of color um, and had a conversation like we're doing now. And yet they were my friends. Now, when we get on the floor of General Senate and in our plenaries, we would sit and argue because we didn't agree on anything. But after it was over, we would go back to being friends. And fast forward to this past General Senate gathering, when we broke off into our groups to talk about the um, the Vision 2020 items, the three items that came out of that, we spent actually very little time talking about the details in the report. And we spent more time talking about what we would lose if the denomination were to splinter and people would fall apart. And so we started talking about those broken friendships and relationships that had been fostered over the decades and people we would never see again. And there were actually many times when we were moved to tears, when you hear people talking about, wow, that's right. If we break away, I'll never see you again. And for me, just knowing that we care that much about each other as individuals, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we don't want to lose that part of our relationship, that gave me the hope that we're willing to put some of those other things aside so that we can still be, and this is my theme, still be a family together. And so that's what I walk, this is what I observe being there in those moments. So then where do you where do you think that this communal sense of hope is coming from? I mean, you've you've certainly mentioned the conversations, the diversity of relationship. I love the whole piece around global mission and completely agree with that. And and I love the way you've articulated that. But where do you think this communal sense of hope is coming from? And and you've said a little bit about it, but if you can say a little bit more, dig in a little bit more deeply about like what occurred that created hope in the midst of anxiety and challenge? Um, I guess from my perspective, when we were having those conversations, what spurred the whole 
um, possibility of falling apart all revolved around human sexuality. And as the conversations got deeper and more personal, we realized that that was only a small piece of what God is calling us to be about. And as the conversations got deeper and deeper, I won't say that that part became insignificant, but we realized that there's a whole big world and a whole lot of other things that God has called us to do. And so are we willing to stop doing God's work as a whole together because of this one item? And I believe that that's what people started to realize. Let's put this into perspective and then just include human sexuality as one of the items that God wants us to work on while we're dealing with all the other things that really needs our attention. And we can't do it alone. We have to do this together. You know, Liz, I think I would throw a thing in there of where is this coming from? Uh, and maybe it's because as an officer, you're a little bit more invested, a little more involved and in knowing that there was a certain uh, energy level behind this particular synod, people expect the expectations of the synod. But I think that we can't underestimate, and we can't even know really, we can't estimate and we can't underestimate the role that that Eddie's focus on prayer over the last year and a half, two years has had to invite the whole denomination into a more humble posture. And so we had, I, I heard a number of people say that the 30 day devotional leading up to it was meaningful. Uh, so many people were were drawn in, and I think it it helped. I I don't want to make any pretense that that we got there, but I think it helped us move in the right direction. I think it tuned our hearts and ears differently to come with a different posture, and not not come to stake out your territory, Dwayne, like you suggest in past synods, but to come and say, you know, what, we if we don't show up with an openness, that that there's there's very little hope, uh, and so I think prayer opened up hope in a kind of unique way because hearts were in a different spot when they walked in the room uh, than we might have otherwise. So that, that would be, you know, uh, sort of w- one of the things I would throw out, Liz, to say, I think that really had a, an, an interesting uh, dynamic. To how, how do you know? How do you measure? You know, you can't, you can't go back and do it over and unpray, you know, let's try sin without prayer and see how that works out. You know, uh, <laughs> although we may, we, that I shouldn't go, I'll be careful with that. Right. What we may end up trying to do to ourselves, but, but can we be, can we note that, that, that element, that focus leading up was an important element and an important key to, to what happened at Synod when we were together. Yes. yes. So just to name for our listeners that there was an intentional prayer movement mm-hmm. That was, we, for our internal language, we call it the prayer campaign, mm-hmm. where there was uh, a team of folks that got together and were really thoughtful and prayerful about how do we build out kind of a multi-layered prayer approach to this. And so there were daily devotions, 30 days prior to General Senate, as you just alluded to, Phil, that came to people's inboxes. So they mm-hmm. were written and they were based on the Psalms. And then there was also every Friday, there was a group that would meet and um sort of soak in scripture together and have a teaching and then prayer, you know, have intercession time to pray in advance of general synod and, and being, I think you named that posture of humility and tuning the hearts, the openness, that was all really kind of the ground of being around those because you could easily have um, sort of a prayer gathering become about like, you know, how do we pray for our agenda or what mm-hmm, have you? Mm-hmm. But it really was more really wanting to focus on the, the whole, the, the, the context, sort of a holistic approach to it. And then, and then also during, during General Synod, our chaplain 
Reverend Judy Nelson led prayers multiple times a day, certainly every morning. There were prayer walks through the building. Um, and I know that, that was there was a, a wonderful group of people that came alongside to do that as well. So that sort of just just so people understand, like it was a multi so people could enter in in the way that worked for them to engage in the prayer and that it was both active by people that were directly involved. And then also there was this beautiful group of people that were, you know, more broadly associated that were able to prayer for the proceedings as well. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode has brought you one step closer to considering what lavish hope, resilience, and overcoming mean for you and your own life and calling. This is one of our two final episodes of Lavish Hope Season 2. We are eagerly awaiting to launch Season 3 in the early new year. We'll take off until then, but there is a bonus episode coming for you that coincides beautifully with the season of Advent leading up to Christmas. Our dear friend and gifted writer, April Feet, has published a devotional, The Sacred Pulse. She will join us here in early December. If you enjoyed this Lavish Hope podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and reshare any place you are on social. You can also connect with me directly at ltesta at rca.org. This episode is brought to you by faithword.org, an online learning community where you'll find ideas for living out your faith, reflections on scripture and church, stories about how other Christians are following God's call, and resources to bring your own church or organization along for the ride. This Lavish Hope podcast is produced by Anna Radcliffe with assistant production by Lorraine Parker, sound design by Garrett Steyer, and web support by Grace Reuter and Barb Ellis.